New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show Weekend Review. It was a good weekend for the Premier League title race as VAR proved to be Brentford's saving grace. Man City fans were pleased with Pep Guardiola's employer and even made a banner for the club's lawyer. The result for City was never in peril, which was great news for visiting admirer Will Ferrell. Southampton parted ways with their coach due to his slightly controversial non-winning approach and Spurs (laughs) went to Leicester and were humbled as their defence completely crumbled. In Europe, Pedri scored a beauty, Napoli continued their winning duties and in La Liga, if you wondered why Real Madrid didn't show up, they were busy winning the Club World Cup. On the biggest stage, Los Blancos pulled off quite a coup, but don't worry, I'd completely forgotten it was happening too. Welcome once again, my name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who is passionate about the Club World Cup in a world where passionate is a synonym for vaguely indifferent. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Oh, I would say completely indifferent if we're going with like uh, accurate statements up front. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I have not watched a single moment of the Club World Cup, and I am sort of proud of that. Um... I don't know where to begin with that. It's the most prestigious contest in the game we love, Tay Is Johnny Infantino just handing you money off screen right now? Is that what's happening? Because I'm assuming that's what's happening. I kind of think he's not wrong in wanting to spice it up and trying to find ways to make it a better competition. Because if you add some more clubs, if you make it more of an event, I feel like I will care about it. I think that is a really interesting idea. Just as it stands in the middle of a league uh, campaign when clubs actively don't want to participate because it takes them away from their domestic fixtures. That's probably not the glory you're looking for. I can't imagine a team turning down the Champions League final to focus on their 36th Premier League game or whatever. There you go. Well, that was um, definitely the most important sporting event of the weekend. <laughs> of uh, of joining us, a man who had a really nice nocturnal bird in his backyard this weekend, Joe Lowry. I understand Arizona had a superb owl this weekend. <laughs> I couldn't figure out where you were going with that until you until you actually laid it all out there. Yeah, we did. About 45 minutes away from where I live, there was this giant owl and uh, I, I guess a football game at the same time. I'm not entirely sure. No, I actually really enjoyed watching the Super Bowl. We chatted about it some before we started recording. Uh, I, I proudly announced that I won a dollar on a coin toss bet. So, wow. I mean, my weekend was pretty good. I don't know about how, how about you guys. I mean, did you meet Rihanna? Did solid. you meet Rihanna? Did you meet Rihanna? Did you meet Rihanna? <laughs> no, sadly. Yeah, similar ah. to Michael Strahan. No, he did not. That was that was an awkward halftime moment when Michael Strahan ran over like the fanboy he is to be like Rihanna, hi, and she gave him a like, oh, oh, hi, guy I've met once peripherally on a talk show, and then he went right back to his halftime duties. Uh, I enjoyed that part of the halftime show almost as much as the halftime show itself. Indeed, uh, plenty to talk about there. But joining us, a man you just heard his voice. He seemed to stay up to an ungodly hour on a European Monday morning to watch the aforementioned superb owl. Grandmother, did you enjoy proceedings in the gridiron? 
I did. I mean, I only understand to a certain extent what's actually happen- happening and the end of the game was confusing to me. I, d- I didn't quite have a grasp on that, but my ambition for today's podcast is, just like Rihanna, to do as little as possible, but for my contribution to be to still be magic, uh, the only difference is I am not pregnant, or as least at least as far as I'm aware, I'm not pregnant, but <laughs> yet. Oh, and I'm definitely not, you know, 100 foot up in the air uh, dancing at a Super Bowl. I feel like, I, having not watched this game nor this halftime performance, I'm missing out at this point, but I shall rectify that later, Graham. Would you recommend I watch the halftime performance for a start? Yeah, it was decent enough. I mean, she's got a lot of hits. It wasn't as good as last year's, like Dr. Mm. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Eminem and 50 Cent. It's going to take some beating for me. Like, that was right in my like my Venn diagram sweet spot. But I enjoyed Rihanna. I enjoyed the game as well until the very anticlimactic end that I didn't really understand. <laughs> Story of my life. Uh, Taylor, I did. I do think I saw that Philadelphia has lost three finals this year now. Yeah, yeah, that didn't stop them from pre-rioting and turning over cars uh, in the streets yesterday, but I imagine Mm. there was a slightly more subdued uh, atmosphere after that game. I I feel bad. I feel sad. I'm I'm glad for Kansas City. It's a a great city, but Philly... Philly, I, I love, I don't know if it's the East Coast connection, if it's the Always Sunny connection, if it's the Fresh Prince connection, who knows? Maybe it's all of the above. But I was definitely leaning for Philly last night uh, and, and and sad for them as a city, though maybe not for their infrastructure budget and all of the repairs that would have had to have happened. Indeed. I did see a good video, uh, the guides to the lamp lamp poles, the lamp posts yep. in Arizona for the Eagles fans, so giving them a guide of how to get up them and how not to get electrocuted on them. Did you see that they pre-greased them in yes. Philly so that people couldn't climb them? I mean, they know how to handle their riots, uh, <laughs> does Philadelphia. Ah, <sighs> wonderful stuff. Why don't we turn our attention to the more spherical kind of ball and the sport therein? Uh, we're going to give some thumbs up, thumbs down for the weekend's events. Of course, the Club World Cup being one of them and the most important one, which Taylor's seen every minute of, and we're going to discuss in great detail on this show. You talking about the U17s? What- Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that okay, one too. Cool. That one too. I wonder which gets more airtime. We'll soon find out. We shall see. Um, But let's start off with the Premier League, shall we? Arsenal won, Brentford won, Trossard and Tony with the goals there. Arsenal missing the chance to go eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. Uh, Graham, where do we start with this one? Uh, Is is this Arsenal um, taking their foot off the gas, do we think? Um, a little bit. I mean, taking their foot off the gas implies that that they have some control over doing that, and I think they would very much like to keep their foot on the gas, particularly with Manchester City at home on on Wednesday night, which is now going to be a huge game. And Manchester City, if they win that match, will actually go top of the Premier League, and I know Arsenal will have a game in hand, but nonetheless, that feels like a pretty significant potential shift in the dynamic of the whole season, if that were to happen. And yeah, thumbs down to Arsenal suffering a bit of a slump at at the wrong time, because that's two games in a row where they've dropped points, it's three games in a row in all competitions that they, they failed to win, they also lost to City. In the FA Cup, remember, and as I say, they, they face City on, on, on Wednesday night, and this match won't have given them a great deal of confidence ahead of that game. I watched this match live, Brentford definitely deserved something from it, I think we'll talk a little bit more about the VAR decision that led to their equaliser, which Arsenal are clearly aggrieved about and have justification to feel that way, but on the balance of the match, Brentford were, were very good. Uh, they had the, they certainly had the better chances in the first half. Ivan Tony he gave them all sorts of problems. He also hit the bar in, in the first half as well as uh, scoring the equaliser. 
And Arsenal, they just had real trouble against the, the Brentford front too. And you got a sense from early on that Brentford would, would do some damage, that they would score. I think the most concerning th- thing for Arsenal was that many of many of the bad things we saw against Everton in, in that defeat in Sean Dyche's first game in charge, they, they were also evident in this performance. So they were taking way too many touches of the ball in the attacking third. It was all a little bit ponderous and, and that made it easier for Brentford to just set themselves and, and, and make sure they weren't played through. And the Arsenal goal... The Trossard goal, an instant impact from him. Four minutes off uh, on on the pitch after coming on the off the bench, his first goal for Arsenal. It felt like a big moment at the time, um, but then Brentford pinned them back, and th- that goal was one of the few times when Arsenal were able to to shift the ball quickly and and get in behind. And it was Saka who played it across goal for Trossard to finish. But there yeah. really weren't many of those moments. It feels like Arsenal at the moment are, are playing within themselves. There's there's a risk they're becoming slightly predictable, which Joe you you might have mentioned on last week's weekend review they were certainly predictable predictable against Everton and I would say they were predictable in this match as well uh, uh, yeah and as you say Graham uh, Man City are the opponents on Wednesday City can go top with a win that gap very much closing up Joe did you um, bet on Ivan Tony scoring and did he bet on you betting on him scoring as well uh, no to both of those. I think Graham had <laughs> Ivan Tony scoring in some sort of bet builder that I Graham did, is yeah. freakishly good at in some way. Him. I honestly don't understand how that works, but Graham, Graham is thriving in that way. I mean, I was just generally impressed by Brentford in this game, Ryan. I know the goal is tainted a little bit in, and Graham's got a whole VAR rant coming later, so I don't really want to dive into those <laughs> waters right now, but even setting aside that moment, right? If we just zoom in on Ivan Tony, thumbs up to him, thumbs up to Brentford in this match. He was getting into good goal-scoring spots a lot in this game, right? He was getting into spots in the first half as a late-arriving runner into the box. He was finding moments, finding opportunities. Brentford, in general, I thought were pretty ruthless on the counter in this game. They're eighth in the league right now in the in the Premier League table. They are seventh best in the league, according to FB Ref, in expected goal differential per 90 minutes, which basically just says, yeah, they, they kind of are like the seventh or eighth best team in the league. And when you watch them play a game like this, they look like the 7th or 8th best team in the league. They maybe look better than that, although the Premier League has so much talent. I'm not sure I'd really put them any higher. But this result showed their quality. It showed their identity under under Thomas Frank. It showed their resolve. I mean, they're, they're very identifiable. It's very easy to tell when you're watching Brentford. They have very clear patterns. They have very clear structure. They have a, a really strong goal scorer up top who gets the goal in this game. I've been extremely impressed by them this year. I was extremely impressed by them after watching this game against Arsenal. I really think this point against Arsenal, even though it's a little bit marred, I do think it is sort of like a a standout illustrative result about this Brentford team. Definitely. Taylor, you're pointing your opposables to the sky for Brentford, uh, knocking on the European places in eighth they are now. Yeah, absolutely. I think thumbs up to them. It's 10 unbeaten in the league, uh, which is no small feat for a club of their size and stature, but then also thumbs up to uh, Ivan Tony uh, for all the reasons that Graham and Joe have already laid out. Uh, I, I think he he does so many things so well uh, that maybe because it's he's playing for Brentford instead of maybe a larger club, he doesn't get some of the headlines he would, but 14 goals already this season uh, has been a key player for them and my fantasy team, which I think is still around, even though I haven't checked it in like since the World Cup, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I also enjoyed his celebration. Uh, we are all with you, Sergi. Uh, I didn't know what that was about, so I looked it up. Uh, Sergi Canos's mother passed away this week. He's on loan at Olympiacos, but he had been with Brentford since 2017. 
So they wanted to show their solidarity, and I loved Ivan Tony running over, getting that kit that had that message on it, and just sort of taking the opportunity to celebrate a teammate who's not even there anymore, but who the team still cares about. That feels like the vibes you want if you are trying to stay out of the relegation zone and maybe just maybe challenge for one of those uh, European spots. So uh, big old thumbs up to Thomas Frank and Brentford, and to Thomas Frank for, in the in the post-match interview, sort of doing his best to acknowledge that there was some VAR controversy, but also trying to give credit to his players at the same time. I think he walked that fine line pretty well. He did. Uh, I think you've teed Graham up nicely to talk about the video assistant referees. He's rubbing his hands with glee as he prepares to talk about the weekend in which VAR wasn't very good. (laughs) Yeah, so thumbs down to the refereeing in the Premier League this weekend because there were a series of of, of blunders. There was the the non-penalty call against Thomas Suchek in the West Ham-Chelsea game where he essentially saves a shot from <laughs> Conor Gallagher and I did enjoy the the Chelsea uh, tweet basically say, basically saying great save from uh, Suchek to deny uh, to deny Conor Gallagher <laughs> then there was the incorrect VAR call for the the Brighton goal that that, that never was against uh, against Crystal Palace Pervis Estepunan scores and for whatever reason in that game the VAR officials drew the, the the offside line on the wrong player they 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 failed to spot Mark Gehi behind I think it was Joachim Anderson or one of the other Crystal Palace players and so had had the, the line been drawn where it was meant to be drawn then Espinan would have been onside and that goal would have counted and and then you have maybe this is maybe the worst one because they don't they don't even draw the line so for the for the Ivan Tony equalizer uh, Norgard is clearly offside when the header from Pinnock is is made but the VR Lee Mason he forgot to or just didn't draw the lines to check that one they was they seem to be very preoccupied with checking the the kind of first phase of the play where they were looking at whether the blocker the the kind of Brentford blocker was interfering with play he he was offside and so they decided he wasn't interfering but then the the second phase of play was literally the phase of play that led to Norgard providing the assist for Ivan Tony and he was clearly offside but for whatever reason they didn't they didn't check that one and and generally I think I'm quite sympathetic to referees because it's not easy to make decisions when the the rule book is as muddled as it is right now but this one was a complete shambles where they just didn't check the one thing they spent three minutes on this as well like what were you doing this was your one job to check that offside call it it, baffling baffling (laughs) first day this is the first day they were watching the the halftime shows, uh, present and past, and just couldn't be focused on the Premier League. Uh, speaking of of the halftime show and the NFL in general, when these moments happen in the NFL, for example, I think there are a lot of allegations about favoritism and bias, and you go so far as like conspiracies that Brady gets favorite treatment, or the Patriots do, or the Chiefs did in this case. Uh, how much of that exists in the UK when it comes to the Premier League? Are there allegations? Mean, because I know that there's stuff like Howard Webb, you know, like yeah. photoshopping yeah. a United kid on him. But big, big club I don't bias. know how. Is it basically just big big clubs get the bias, not one club in particular? Well, that's that's the perception. But, the perception is that everyone is against your team, of course. But big club <laughs> yes, bias is also another big one. Yeah, big club, but big club bias definitely a thing. Back in the day, the 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 pro Manchester United Strauss Ferguson agenda was was very much a, a talking point. And in Scottish football, everyone is absolutely paranoid, and referees have certain reputations for being pro Celtic and pro Rangers. I'm not sure that exists to the to the same extend in in the Premier League Anthony Taylor um gets called what's the club apparently he has an agenda against is it Chelsea Chelsea fans seem to think he doesn't give them decisions I think it's Chelsea 
But generally speaking, it is just big club bias, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, we all know the solution here. We need to, uh, to get chat GPT to run VAR from now on. <laughs> all of our problems are solved, right? Is that it? Did I solve it? Good. Cool. Sure. Yeah, why not? They're going to take all our jobs soon enough anyway, so why not? Why yeah. not just oh let them God. have the refereeing jobs as well? You're right. Why are they going to listen to four idiots talking when chat GPT could do podcasts in the future, Graham? You've just, oh my God, that's depressing. Oh. I'm not convinced <laughs> that right. Jam hasn't been that, that Graham hasn't been chat GPT all along because of how much oh. soccer he watches. I'm not sure that this is really a human being we've been talking with. I think it just might have been AI. Well, see, oh the thing gosh. is, Chat GPT is is taking my thing. You know, I watch all the soccer. Stay away, robots. <laughs> like that's my thing. Like I I don't have any selling point if if that's what you do, Chat GPT. All right. While we ponder where the Graham is a Westworld-style chat GPT bot, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Spurs. We'll talk about that aforementioned West Ham Chelsea game. Club or Cup, much, much more coming shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. So the soccer show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to Tottenham heading to Leicester and being inflicted or having a 4-1 defeat inflicted upon them. I've read that the wrong way around. I should say Leicester 4, Tottenham 1 is the way it went out. Uh, Taylor, Tottenham's mentality was questioned by their assistant boss, Christian Stellini, after this one. He apologised after this game. Uh, Antonio Conte can't back, come back soon enough or maybe should stay away longer. Which one is it? I'm not sure. I mean, he was back though, right? He was on the sideline. Yeah, he, was he, just, he just wasn't doing the the post match interview. Mate, it feels I think. better now. Yeah, but I Mike, mean, had his gallbladder removed, so I think there's probably a medical reason why he was not trying to be in front of cameras. Right. But there was a moment when I thought that's a convenient time to not have to jump in front when you've just gotten demolished by Leicester, who looked excellent. I thought this was the best performance from Leicester. I do want to talk about them, but I will uh, stay with with Spurs for a moment because once again, this is the point in the season when I just get confused and sort of feel like I- I'll check back in in a couple weeks, guys, because every time I think Tottenham 
are down for the count and Antonio Conte is going to be sacked and everything is terrible. They win like three in a row, look electric, look totally ready to go, and they're right back to it. And now I think Spurs, you know, oh, they're going to be in the Champions League. They're good. They could challenge for the title. And then they have a game like this where they just look completely not at the races. Uh, Romero is not there, but I, I can't imagine one player not being there means that your entire defense stops forgetting how to defend. It was a pretty inexplicable performance for me from Spurs. I do think Brendan Rodgers got the better of the tactical battle. I think he uh, did a good job of making his forwards stay wide so that back three had to stretch out a little bit and it gave, gave James Madison plenty of room to operate and plenty of space to have the ball to make defenses panic or defenders panic. I thought Leicester overwhelmed Tottenham through the middle of the pitch and really pressed them, did a good job of winning the ball back and then counterattacking ruthlessly. But those are all things we expect to see from an Antonio Conte team. So I guess that Leicester got the better of this one is maybe why he wasn't there in the post-match. But yeah, I think an angry, gallbladderless Antonio Conte is going to come back <laughs> in firing. Yeah, thumbs down to Tottenham's defending in, in this match. Yeah. Just just in general, it was it was absolutely horrendous. There were there were times when they were hanging on for for dear life and that and this was 4-1 but it really could have been five or six i think harvey Bar- harvey barnes has has a, a a goal disallowed for a marginal offside and the defending was just absolutely abysmal and for a team who did an excellent job of containing man city a week ago it was remarkable that they looked like being split open every time leicester ran at them and and Thumbs down to the idea of Eric Dyer as a central defender. I have no idea how this has been perpetuated for, for so long. And how how Antonio Conte, a manager who puts such an emphasis on defensive solidity, has gone, gone along with this idea as well. I just I just can't understand why he's still playing. For One, why he's play, still playing for a team like Tottenham Hotspur and why he's still playing. Two, why he's still playing in central defence. And Leicester City were just so effective at getting into the half spaces and, and ripping Spurs to shreds whenever they got into the final third at pace. And Eric Dyer couldn't handle it. And in particular, the, the, the Ian Atchell goal was the best illustration of this, where Dyer just stands off and stands off and stands off as Ian, Ian Atchell gets closer and closer to goal and into the box and then just guides a shot into the corner. And at no point yeah. did he ever engage in actual. And there were there were multiple moments like that from not just from Dyer, from the rest of that Spurs team as well. And if you look at that Spurs back three, Tanganga, Eric Dyer, and Ben Davis, I have no idea. And Fraser Forster and goal, I have no idea how that is an Antonio Conte defensive line. It is. It just feels weird watching a team. You would expect that would be the thing that he would he would put such an emphasis on straight away going into a club. And Romero's obviously out, suspended. But other than that, th- this is as good as it gets for, for Spurs in terms of their defensive personnel. And I, I'm not convinced they're good enough. I, I want to focus on that Eric Dyer moment for a second because, like, for sure, he is put in a very awkward position of there's a turnover high up the pitch. Again, this is Leicester pressing high, winning the ball back centrally, playing it vertically. And now he is in a 2v1 scenario. But initially, it's him one-on-one with Iheanacho. As Graham said, it's him standing off. And and it reminds me, I talk about this a lot, about the person who kind of stands off the creative wide player and just lets them cross the ball into the box. And even if it ends in a goal, he didn't beat me. So at the very least, fine, you can cross the ball and then it's someone else's fault. As long as I don't get beaten, it's not my fault. And that is a little bit what it felt like here, that Eric Dyer never makes that play, never tries to shut it down. Maybe he's worried about getting that red card, but it's telling to me that that sequence ends with a lateral pass from Inacio to Madison, and Madison finishes calmly. And even there, he doesn't take the pass away. He doesn't really make Inacio make a decision. He just sort of stands off and keeps waiting. And I think that was sort of representative of Tottenham on the day, that they were just very passive, very reactive. 
I don't know if another defender would have done a better job, but I remember watching that live and thinking, like, ah, yeah, there's not much you can do there. It's a 2v1. And then watching it in slow-mo and in different angles and thinking, there's some things he could have done, though. He could have tried mm-hmm. something. Well, maybe maybe he, anything well, would have been a better way. Exactly. <laughs> anything is better than nothing, I suppose. Oh, boy. Uh, Joe, any thumbs on this one, or should we move on to the Hammer Bowl, London Stadium? I just want to give Graham a thumbs up for being more passionate about Eric Dyer not being a center back than anyone I have ever met or encountered in my <laughs> life. So, Graham, well well done to you on that. I appreciate how angry you are about people mm. named Eric really doing things in central defense. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I'm never going to watch a Tottenham Hotspur game, a home game certainly, or I think Eric Dyer might try and come and, he might come and find me in the stand. Yeah. He's going to clamber up the stand and, you know, he has tell fought. me what's what. He has exactly. fought for that for sure. Uh, West Ham won, Chelsea won, Emerson Palmieri and João Felix with the goals. And as Enzo Fernandes providing the lovely assist for that João Felix goal as well. A lovely volley there. Uh, a knockout performance for West Ham, certainly for one of their fans, Graham. If you've seen the old uh, video circulating on the socials. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I know what you're talking about. Oh, there's uh, me. a video of two fans. Uh, one fan... Um, passionately expressing his opinions of the opponent and yeah. um, the other fan communica- communicating his feelings with his fist and ah, laying right. the fan out on the floor for being... Classic West Ham Chelsea stuff you're talking about. Classic London Derby West Ham Chelsea stuff indeed. Not that we condone any of that kind of behaviour, of course, but uh, that one uh, dominating We the don't socials. condone it, but still film it and put it on social media for our enjoyment, please. Of course, of course, yeah. And then later, the... Uh, the young fan who had mouthed off being wheeled away in a wheelchair as well after being knocked out on the floor. So quite quite a performance there. But what about the performance from Chelsea, Graham? One win in seven matches now. Doesn't sound great. Um, I was going to give them some <laughs> praise there for the first half performance, but you teed me up with, <laughs> with that stat. Um, so... Yeah, I'm not really sure where Chelsea are at the moment. It's just all such a work in progress. And you can see elements of the of the team starting to come together. So thumbs up to Yal Felix, who I think is settling in fairly quickly. Obviously, he had that red card at, at, at Fulham, which sort of uh, staggered his, his introduction to that team. This may be only second or third game, I think, for Chelsea. But he was probably the best Chelsea player on the pitch. And not just because he scored the, the goal... Um, he was buzzing around. Most of their attacking play seemed to flow through him in, in, in some way. Chelsea seemed determined not to play him behind much, which isn't exactly getting the best of Mikel Mudrik. I feel like he is playing within himself right now. Obviously, still early days following his, his transfer in January. But it suits Felix, who can dribble past opponents and carry the ball forward. And there are encouraging signs of an understanding between Enzo Fernandez and, and Felix, who combined excellently for the Chelsea goal. And there were a few moments like that during the match. And I think Fernandez as well has improved that that Chelsea midfield. And you can see the the passing range that he has and how Chelsea are now able to do more with their possession. I still think they could they could do with someone alongside Enzo to stop them from being transitioned on so often. Basically, they do need peak N'Golo Kante. I'm not sure uh, current N'Golo Kante is capable of, of performing that role, but I have liked what I've seen from Fernandes so far. I think Felix is emerging as Chelsea's primary attacking difference maker, but in this match, it really felt like they needed to be more ruthless with the opportunities they had in the first half, and then West Ham obviously made them pay for that uh, pay for that in the second half. Excuse me. Yeah, that's where I have some thumbs up. I think I had commiseratory thumbs up to Graham Potter for this one. Graham, to your mm. point, uh, a fellow Graham, uh, I'll give some support to. Uh, yeah, Chelsea had 72% possession, almost 600 completed passes to West Ham's 187. But West Ham, I believe, had more touches in the box and had a higher XG, which definitely shows you there was some wastefulness on Chelsea's part. And this is where 
I, I genuinely feel bad for Graham Potter that they could have been up 3-0 inside the first like 30 minutes or whatever, and then two of those goals being chalked out for offside, very tight offsides. And and it just seemed like in that moment this was Chelsea turning a corner. You could see him being so excited with one of those goals, Graham Potter, and then it's ruled out for offside, and it, just how dejected he was, that it it has to be such a frustrating position for him and for this team and for supporters of this club that it, it keeps feeling... In a, in a better way than Tottenham earlier, it keeps feeling like they're about to turn the corner and yet they keep kind of getting stuck in neutral. Uh, in, in this game, I thought they were going to get the result. I thought that they, I'm not going to say they deserve the result because, again, West Ham took their chances and credit to them for that. But it just, it keeps feeling confusing to me that Chelsea are right there about to kind of kick into gear and score five goals and look like this the juggernaut they should be. And then they finish one-to-one and I remain scratching my head. It's, it's just going to take time, right? I mean, Graham, you kind of said it there with Mudrik. He's playing within himself a little bit. He, he still hasn't been with the club for very long. Jao Felix had that red card and so miss, missed some time. That was on his debut against Fulham. So, I mean, he still is, is trying to work his way into the team to figure out exactly what on earth is happening on the field. Graham Potter at Brighton was a, a, did, did a very good job with that Brighton squad and has had a very good managerial career. One of the things that that Brighton team became known for, though, was how often they changed what they did, right? Not the macro system, but, you know, a lot of the micro things, right, of specific positioning or midfield alignments mm-hmm. or, yeah. um, you know, how different players are being utilized and, ch- and really taking wingers and making them wingbacks, which is the sort of thing that Thomas Tuchel got a lot of heat for at Chelsea, but we, we know can be done and done well. So, I mean, Potter's, a lot of Potter's thing at, at Brighton was trying to install some sort of tactical flexibility into his players so that they could adapt and change to deal with the lack of talent they had relative to some of the best teams in the Premier League. The situation at Chelsea is different, right? The players are better and there is a smaller gap between Chelsea and City or between Chelsea and Arsenal. You can look at those squads and say Chelsea have pretty much as good a squad as anybody in the league. I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I don't think there's a big gap there. For Chelsea, the rest of the season is, in my view, at least really just trying to one, inch their way as close to the Champions League spots as possible. I believe they have like a, they, they have an incredibly low percent chance of getting there, but it's not zero. So it is possible for them to try to get into the Champions League spots. But otherwise, like this season should be trying to build for next season because they're not going to win a title this year. They're not going to win a trophy this year. Their new goal in terms of results is to crack the top four. Again, skeptical about that. So their, their next goal is to try to shape these pieces into something that looks like the puzzle that's on the box. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. I don't know if Potter's going to be able to do that. But the talent is there. Like, there is undeniable talent in this team. Enzo Fernandez, I think, is a phenomenal player. I never would have paid what they paid for him, but he is incredible in midfield. I'm not sure they need Prime Conte to go next to him. I think he can do a lot more of defensive work maybe than you gave him credit for there, Graham. But I, I really like Enzo Fernandez. Mudrik is incredibly talented. Who knows what happens with Jao Felix, but they have Nkunku coming over, who's been maybe the best non-Bayern Munich attacker in, in Germany. The pieces are here. Whether or not they can be put together, whether, whether or not they can harness sort of how, how dangerous they were at times in this first half and have been in first halves under Graham Potter into something more consistent and more effective over the rest of this season is a big question mark, but that's the question that I think Chelsea need to answer. For sure. And and heard on all that, Joe, good points across the board. Uh, there's not even a but coming. There's just an and, I guess, in this case, that like all of that is true, 
and then you, you do expect them to kick on because I do think they targeted Champions League this year. I think that is the thing that they were spending for in January is, is they need that Champions League income. If they don't get it, I think it will hurt them in terms of FFP. Who knows if that matters? But I think it also hurts their ability to spend and continue to strengthen the squad. I think they do have all those pieces. I think they will probably come good eventually if they stick with Graham Potter, if they kind of keep doing what they're doing. But this is another, all that to say, another example of where I feel sort of a little bit of sympathy for Graham Potter, that this one ends with, to me, what was clearly a handball. Thomas Suchek goes down to block the shot. I don't think he needs to go down in that moment. I think he could have stayed on his feet, but he does go down. And, and in falling, the argument, I guess, is he, he falls down. He has his left hand there to kind of cushion him, uh, and the, the ball hits that hand and goes out of bounds. So I think the argument was he didn't mean to stop it, uh, that like it wasn't an intentional handball, and, and maybe he didn't have enough time to react. But for me, he didn't need to fall down the way he did. And I felt like some of those replays showed him moving that hand out a little bit. To me, yeah. that is another example yeah. where VAR got it wrong on the day. And I think it's it's tough to kind of keep to build that momentum that Chelsea need to build that consistency that they need if you don't get a result here or there. And I think if they got that penalty late, they take that penalty and they score, you've just got you've got some <laughs> some some things just go, like some uh, round pegs into round holes. Things are starting to kind of make sense. You can build on that. You can then have some of those permutations off of a win. But if you don't get those wins and you don't get that form going, it just gets harder and harder. And that's where it, on the day it felt like Chelsea could have won this one. Five to one, and they finish one to one, and I think that makes the the job that much harder. Down on the south coast, Southampton one, Wolves two. Nathan Jones getting sacked as Southampton coach. Um, bit of a strange appointment this one. Uh, obviously, was great at Luton <laughs> in the lower divisions, but didn't quite have the pedigree nor the chops in the interviews. I'd say probably Graham. Uh, uh, he, he's a strange figure. Um, Richard Jolly yeah. tweeting: Eleven Premier League managers have got at least one point at St Mary's this season. Nathan Jones isn't one of them, despite managing <laughs> Southampton three months in charge, lost nine of fourteen matches. Graham, what's Ralph Ralph Hasnett up to? He might be a good fit. Or Jesse Marsh. Thumbs up if you're Jesse Marsh. He he could be back in Premier League management in no time at all because he's apparently wanted by Southampton. Um, I can't imagine Southampton fans are very pleased about that, given he's just been sacked by Leeds and they were essentially kind of heading down under his, his stewardship. But let me apply some logic to how that could work. So, Ryan, you mentioned Hassan Hüttel. He had a, a relative a relatively high degree of success at Southampton over the course of his time there. Marshy's style, I think, is similar to Hassan Hüttel, so that squad might be fine with his approach. I think Southampton, after Rob Jones, who... What a bizarre appointment and time in charge. 94 days he was in charge. I think it's the sixth shortest Premier League uh, managerial stint of, of all time. He seemed to be completely clueless, and his interviews were bizarre, and the fans ended up turning against him, and I think the players, looking at the performances, they I don't think they were very uh, big fans of him either. So that club needs positive, positive energy, and I think Marsh certainly has that, and Marsh saved Leeds last season. It was the next bit that was the problem for him at Leeds was building that team. So for the task that Southampton needs him for, he has technically proven, he did it last season, I think there should be better candidates out there than Jesse Marsh, uh, but I'm I'm making an argument that maybe it wouldn't be as ridiculous an appointment as it would initially seem that he's been linked with that position. Well, they did hire Nathan Jones, so who knows what they're going to do next, Graham. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lottery there. We shall see. Uh, a couple more Premier League games to touch on. Uh, Leeds nil, Man United 2. Uh, Rashford and Grancho with the goals there. Lovely uh, second goal there from uh, Garnacho. Um 
Well, thumbs down from me. This definitely in this one for the Leeds Leeds fans who famously don't get along well with Man United fans singing the uh, singing a song about the Munich air disaster, mm. in which of course eight players were killed and. 23 passengers were for, killed too. For balance there as well, I think Manchester United fans, I don't think they were particular saints either. There was they songs were. about uh, Istanbul and yeah. a, a case, I, I believe, when a Leeds fan was, was stabbed in uh, Istanbul. Two, yeah, so, Europe. so they, I think they, both yeah. clubs were at it. Yeah, exactly. I was about to make that point, Graham. They were both as bad as one another with the United fans chanting about the two Leeds fans killed in Istanbul in 2000 as well. So a bit disappointing that. Uh, any, any other men- notes about the game itself, Taylor? Graham? Taylor? Taylor? Graham? Taylor? <laughs> I think Graham has more to say about sure. this one than I do. Just that uh, I, I was pleased this one went the way it did. I thought Leeds had very good opportunities, similar to Chelsea. I feel like they put themselves in some in some smart positions, and similar to Leicester, I think made Manchester United uncomfortable and were pretty direct in how they wanted to attack and and had some very good chances, especially in that first half. It's just, I guess, Marcus Rashford has just decided to... He's the new Kareem Benzema. He's just decided to score every single weekend, and you can't stop him. Uh, and, and that's pretty much how that went down. So I think it's a credit to Leeds that they've responded the way they have. And I think one point from these two games against Manchester United feels harsh because they go up uh, early, they're up 2-0, and then they end up drawing 2-2, and now they lose 2-0 in a game that it felt like they had opportunities. So there's still that fight there. I think if you're a lead supporter... Uh, maybe you're not loving lo- losing one of these games and drawing the other, but at the very least, there still seems to be that heart and yep. that belief in the club that you need when you're going into a relegation battle. There certainly is fight there, and thumbs up to Tyler Adams and Wes McKenney getting stuck in right from the start. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anyone noticed some of yeah. the reducer tackles, particularly one from Wes McKenney yeah. on Tyrone Malassia in the first few minutes. I mean, I didn't mind it. I can appreciate a crunching slide tackle, but I can understand why Eric Ten Hag was a, a little bit disgruntled by that. It was a bit rough. That was Did Vinnie you... Jones' classic Wimbledon, it's the first few minutes, I'm going to show him I'm here kind of vibe, <laughs> yeah, wasn't exactly. it? Did you all see the it quote was. from McKenney last week about like how much he's been looking forward to English football and how it's exactly what he thought it would be. He was like, <laughs> he's waited his whole life for. He that was moment. like, I was, I heard all about the physicality. I wanted that. I wanted the talking back and forth. I wanted getting into it with yeah. opponents in English. I'm so excited to be here. And man, did I see that on Sunday. <laughs> and he's he's done that right. So Leeds played two games against Manchester United. One midweek last week, and, and one on Sunday. And then McKenney made his debut for Leeds against Nottingham Forest. So he's come on and played alongside Tyler Adams in all three of those games. I've gone through, I've watched all of McKenney's minutes and I, I watched this whole game and all that, all that jazz. And McKenney is, he's everywhere. Like he and Tyler Adams are covering a ridiculous amount of ground. We, we kind of already knew they'd be able to do that stuff because we see them do it with the national team. But for a more defensive team like Leeds, who are still basically playing Marsh ball. I think they've just drawn their line of conversation a little bit deeper, so they're maybe slightly more compact. But I mean, McKenney is everywhere. There's a, a moment against Manchester United midweek where he comes all the way across the field to stop Marcus Rashford from going on a long, mazy dribble through midfield. I mean, he is he's shifting. He and Adams are, are moving forward and backwards in that double pivot. They're everywhere at the same time. I've really enjoyed watching them play together. I think it's it's genuinely entertaining, even for folks that don't have any ties to the USMNT. The one thumbs down I'll give to McKenney. I need to go back and watch it a couple more times, but I believe on Garnacho's goal, so it's the second goal for Manchester United, the ball is coming to McKenney in midfield. He has his back towards the the, the goal that Leeds United are attacking. His his belly button is facing his own goal. And he sees Vout Veghorst coming from, from the right side, and he doesn't check his shoulder, though, to see what's behind him. And Fred is behind him. Fred picks the ball off of him, 
and Manchester United go and counter the left side, counter down the left side, and go and score. And so though, we're still seeing those kinds of moments from Weston McKinney that tell us, wow, this guy hasn't played as a central midfielder in, like, ever at club level, outside of maybe a few games with Schalke and, and then with the national team, of course. But, yeah, thumbs thumbs sort of medium still to McKinney's early days at Leeds. But, man, the entertainment factor is all the way up to 11. It was indeed. Uh, Man City 3, Aston Villa 1 on Sunday. Uh, Rebecca Lowe telling us on the broadcast that Man City fans were booing the Premier League anthem ahead of the game. There's a Premier League anthem. The, yeah. <laughs> you beat me to it, right? I was going to say, I didn't even know the Premier League had an anthem. I don't know what that but... means. I have no idea, but apparently it's got one. Did you Did you also catch the banner? Yes. The oh, you said yeah. it at the top of the show, of course. Yeah, uh, so um, there is a banner being held up by the Man City fans that said, Panic on the streets of London to play on the Smith song. And also Lord Panic KC, who, uh, QC, who is the um, best in the business lawyer that Man City have employed. Apparently £5,000 an hour he costs uh, to fight their 100-plus cases against UEFA. Um, and I think I tweeted worse the effect, Graham, of it's very modern soccer to have fans having a banner in support of the club's lawyer uh, yeah. in the stands. Uh, my thumbs down for that. Yeah, football might be, on, be beyond saving at this point. This might be the <laughs> thing that that pushes me over the edge. Maybe Lord Panic's going to get a statue outside the Etihad if, if, if he gets uh, City off with all those, what is it, 100 breaches, alleged breaches of yeah. Premier League financial fair play rules. Indeed. Uh, Will Ferrell in attendance for this game, as I mentioned at the top as well. He also went to the Wrexham game at the Racehorse Crown, uh, Ground this uh, this weekend, uh, so getting a couple of games in. Um, good for him. Scouting mission, I think uh, some some have called it. We shall see how that one goes. Uh, any Anything else about that game before we uh, head off? Just thumbs up to Pep Guardiola picking his best players to win a football match. What a concept, nice. I know. Uh, so Ruben Diaz and Laporte were back in the defence. De Bruyne, De Bruyne was back in central midfield and it just all looked so much more settled. Um, it was actually kind of an interesting shape with, th- with three at the back and then Rodri and Bernardo Silva at the base of the midfield and then Gundogan and De Bruyne further forward. And there were some good threads on Twitter about the three box three shape and Bernardo dropping to left back and all that good stuff. So Pep is trying some new things with this team to get around, I think primarily to get around the fullback problem and the fact that his best fullback now plays for Bayern Munich. But he is trying those new things with his best players in the team, which I think is a better way forward for Man City at this point. Did we like Graham, Jack Grealish, uh, get winning the penalty against his former side and the team he supports in fairly egregious fashion? Yeah, I'm not convinced it was it was a penalty. Did he, did he did he do like a muted penalty celebration, or or did he just go kind of full full ham with the celebration? I can't really remember. What I don't remember. I just remember the incident itself being very much. Oh, you, you've you've taken an extra step before you went down there, son. Mm. Interesting times. Why indeed. is Howland not taking penalties? I thought that was part of the whole reason they signed him was Man City famously have a real issue with finding penalty takers. Now they found one that scored four out of four this season. They've given them back to Riyad Mahrez, who seems to miss about 50% of them, obviously scored on this occasion. But that was not good for my fantasy team. Pep's given up. That's what it is, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> we shall see. Anyway, Merseyside Derby coming uh, later on after we record tonight to conclude the Premier League weekend. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the continent. We're going to talk about the Club World Cup and much more back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, 
Not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, let's turn our attention to the biggest sporting event broadcast by Fox this weekend. I'll see you Real guys Madrid later. 5, <laughs> Al Hill out 3 in the Club World Cup, uh, which we all were very aware was happening and has been happening for a few days before this weekend, of course, and before it very closely here at Total Soccer Show. Uh, seven teams who played in Morocco and Rabat, to be specific. This was supposed to be, I believe, a few years ago, the expanded 2014 format we have been promised, but now um, it's... 32 teams from June 2025 to be held every four years. Good stuff, FIFA. They're making it even better. Uh, the, the Sounders were the CONCACAF reps in this one. Uh, they went out to Alali uh, in their first game. Real Madrid, uh, yeah, winning this one with lots of goals and conceding three goals, Graham. I'm sure you watched every minute of this one, right? <laughs> Ah, you've come at the wrong person. So thumbs down (laughs) once again to the UK's archaic broadcast landscape because I couldn't watch this match live. It wasn't on TV here. And when I went looking for highlights, there there also wasn't a highlights package on YouTube. So I'm afraid I've only seen a few of the goals bouncing around on Twitter. So that is how the Club World Cup is regarded uh, in the UK. Not really on the radar. Joe, how about we talk about some of those goals then? Uh, Vinicius opening up the scoring. Valverde with a second goal, courtesy of some interesting goalkeeping decisions on his shot there. Uh, (laughs) What what do we make of this one? Yeah, I mean, so I have thumbs up from this match to Karim Benzema scoring because that makes it a real weekend. It felt like a real weekend to me, but now we know for sure. Um, that's comforting. I think Marcus Rashford scored two. So if, if we, both of those criteria have to hit every weekend, then I, we probably are going to have some fewer weekends going forward. I'm sorry about that, everybody. Yeah, it's the but football equivalent of make the, the, rules. the Daniel Craig Saturday Night Live meme, I think. The, the, it's the weekend. The weekend. Yeah, so I mean, thumbs up, thumbs up to that. I don't have any really other thoughts on this game. Uh, I, I do have thumbs down. Taylor, you kind of got at this earlier. I have thumbs down to the tournament existing, at least in its current form. So... European teams have won the last 10 Club World Cups, which sort of makes me wonder, you know, 
why why do we play this? And I, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in, well, Real Madrid won. That's all the thing that matters. I do think there's something genuinely to be said for some of the teams from Africa and from the Middle East and from South America, really everywhere other than Europe. Certainly for Seattle, who was the first MLS team to ever go and play in the Club World Cup. I think it's it's foolish to minimize all of those things just because, you know, they're they're things that that don't always get top billing. I think those are important. At the same time, I, I think they're so much smaller and more insignificant than they, they kind of need to be. Either figure out another you know, way to do this competition or or just get rid of it and, and provide some other bonus to winning the Champions Leagues in, in different places. I'm not really in favor. Taylor, I know you said you were kind of into the idea. I'm not really in favor of expanding this Club World Cup. There's already too much soccer as it is. There's already too many tournaments. I, I don't love that idea. I think I would get excited about it if it happened, but I'm trying to save myself and guard my heart from, from something like that. I, I'm not really into that, and I don't know what the better solution is, but I mean, the competition is kind of a farce, at least in terms of who's going to win, because everybody knows that the money's in Europe. Everybody knows that Real Madrid is going to win this thing before it starts, and so it does all feel a little silly to me. With that said, Joe, as you said the last time, we had a non-European team. When it was 2012, it was Corinthians, and they beat Chelsea. So I feel like that's also Graham Potter's fault somehow. Retroactively, yeah, Graham Potter definitely. also responsible for that Club World Cup loss. And speaking of Brazilian sides, uh, Flamengo were very much talking up their chances. They took a lot of fans to Morocco for this one. It is quite an important competition in South America. Uh, Flamengo's vice president, Marcos Brás, he went viral in South America on a video <laughs> when he called out Real Madrid. He said, Real Madrid, your time will come. Uh, Flamengo did not make the final because Al Halal did in their place. They knocked Flamengo out uh, in the semi-finals. A big embarrassment for them. That was uh, so. Yeah, Club World Cup done. Can't wait for it to be a 32 team event every four years. <sighs> yep, that's correct. You know, guys, we're not going to get a lot of Infantino bucks if we keep on with this, but I, I think that's fine. <laughs> Ryan when took them all. Ryan took them becomes... all in the intro, Taylor. There aren't any left. <laughs> there we go. All right. Why don't we turn our attention uh, to the Bundesliga? Ebi Leipzig 1, Union Berlin 2. Who's got some thumbs for me? Graham, show me them thumbs. Yeah, so thumbs up to one of the goals of the season from Yannick Haber- Haberer mm. in, in, yeah. in this game. It was almost sort of... Zidane-esque in the way that he gets his kind of leg over it from the edge of the box, albeit from the right side rather than the left side, the Zidane goal. But it was just an amazing moment. I watched this game live. Um, I definitely made an audible noise when that goal, when that ball hit the back of the net and it just took the wind out of RB Leipzig, who I thought up until that point had had been the better team. But the equaliser emboldened uh, Union Berlin. They, they went on to get the winner. And just thumbs up to Union Berlin refusing to disappear in this Bundesliga title race. Mm. I, I remember just before the World Cup break saying stuff like, well, it was fun while it lasted after uh, you know Union Berlin fell away a little bit. But they're back to within just one point of Bayern Munich. And in a lot of ways, it doesn't make sense. They are seriously outperforming their expected goals this season. And logic says there will be a correction at some point. But we're 20 matches into the, into the season now, and it hasn't really happened. And and they are a good it's team. Coming. They're dangerous on the counter-attack. <laughs> no, Joe, don't say it. Don't say it's it. It's not coming. true. It's not coming. Or if it is coming, it's, next, it's coming next <laughs> season. Let's give them a title first before that correction happens. But... They are a good team, you know. Becker is a star. They're dangerous from crosses. They're 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 an exciting team to watch. And then they've got the Bayern Munich game in two weeks' time. And if if they were to win that or even avoid defeat in that game, I, I'll start to believe this could be a bit of a 
Leicester City story that's developing because that's the closest comparison I can think of. You know, Union Berlin until a couple of seasons ago hadn't even been in the Bundesliga. They're not Berlin's traditionally Berlin's biggest club, and so for them to be in this in this position is 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 just incredible. And I'm very much willing them on at this point. Um, so are we saying Graham by Munich win it by March or April? <laughs> Late April. Let's stretch it out for a little bit longer at least. Oh, cool. They even had a three they, win. Even if they do though, I gotta say. This was a weekend where, as sort of like neutral as I was on the Premier League, I found myself reinvigorated by the Bundesliga just because you could have Union and Freiburg in the Champions League at the end of the season. They're in those places right now. But you've got uh, Dortmund looking very strong. I think they've won their last five games. Even Leipzig before this game were looking very good. Frankfurt, Wolfsburg, Leverkusen, Bremen all having strong seasons. So it just feels like, or strong enough seasons. So it just feels like at any point any team could jump into that top four. Any team could be in that top six. And I think there is some, like, that feels like more of a standard thing, even if it's Bayern Munich always winning. The Premier League has been up and down this season, don't get me wrong. You've got Liverpool and Chelsea where they are, and you've got teams like Newcastle having, I think, the longest unbeaten run. They they haven't lost since August, and a great season for Newcastle, but it still feels like money is such a huge part of that. The Bundesliga, certainly money is a part of it as well, but some of these teams being where they are just makes it such a fun campaign. And to Graham's point, that Union keep hanging around and keep finding ways to win. I saw this scoreline before I watched the game, and for some reason I reversed it, yay dyslexia, uh, and I don't have that, but maybe I do, who knows. Um, but I thought Union lost this game. So watching it and then suddenly get, having them getting a penalty and thinking, wait, how is this going to turn around? I was very relieved in the end to see Union with the 2-1 to one win, and it made it that much more fun. So I think overall I'm, I'm very much enjoying this Bundesliga campaign, and long may it continue until April when Bayern win it. Yeah, I think the big difference is there's there's pressure on Bayern Munich. So Bayern Munich are still yeah. top of the Bundesliga by two points, and they could win every game between now and the end of the of the season. That wouldn't surprise me, or or something close to to that sort of thing. But unlike past campaigns, it feels like if they do slip up, if they lose a game, they draw a couple here or there, there are teams like Dortmund who are flying and Union Berlin who have just been there the whole season that can and will take advantage. And that is instantly making this, this season so much more entertaining than, than past seasons. Indeed. Uh, Taylor, I love that you're reinvigorated by the Bundesliga. Five teams scoring at least three goals this weekend as well. So plenty to be excited about in Germany. Almost Uh, like a winter break maybe gives you time to reset and refresh and then you can come back electrifying and exciting. Yeah. And you take an extra month off and you're even better. There (laughs) we go. Yeah. Uh, Over in Spain, Villarreal uh, lost 1-0 at home to Barcelona on Sunday evening. Pedri with a beauty of a goal. PlayStation effort this one was. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Barcelona 11 points clear in La Liga after that with Real Madrid not taking part this weekend, of course. Um, Joe, did you catch this one? That Pedri goal was something of... Oh, I can't even describe it. was just wonderful, wasn't it? Of course, Joe. Pedri, are you kidding me? You just Pedri described Pedri. <laughs> Joe knows. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw a headline earlier this week, and this is what I get for reading the headlines and not reading the article, but it was something about, you know, Gavi is indispensable at Barcelona. And I was like, yeah, of course. He, like, have we have we watched the footage? Pedri and Gavi are, and I've been on this train for a while, they are so good. They are two of the biggest stars of this next generation. They're already stars of the current generation. They're phenomenal. Barcelona are almost certainly going to win the title this year. They're a really good team, and I, I enjoyed watching them. I don't think this was their best game. I didn't catch all of it, but I, I caught bits and pieces. Xavi didn't seem totally thrilled after the match, but, I mean, when you get a goal from Pedri, it's a good weekend for me, Ryan. Thumbs up to Barcelona. Thumbs up indeed. Um, Joe, you know Elche won last weekend. I mean, 
Like, if you're going to rule them out of the t- the title race this prematurely, <laughs> I don't know what to make of you, uh, make of that. We, they're only we... they're only 47 points behind Barcelona. Stranger things have not happened. Do we do we know if the was it Cremonese Cremonese they in lost. Italy have they, they lost to Napoli? Oh, lost they're still winless. They yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they lost 3-0 to Napoli, unfortunately, Joe. Um, nice, nice. Just one note on that Barcelona game. Uh, thumbs down to the cruel twist of fate that gave Francis Coquelin the injury that he got in that one. I was watching this one live. It looked, they, they kept replaying it as well. It looks like he's done. Mm-hmm. he did some serious damage to his knee, so hopefully he's uh, he's going to be okay after that one. But now let's turn our attention to Serie A. The aforementioned Cromanense still not got to win. Napoli 3-0 uh, winners in that one. Sixth. A consecutive league win for Napoli. Um, Graham, they were wearing another fancy kit. Did you see no, it? No. It was a va- it, it not even being he Valentine's Day. Uh, it, it. They did a Valentine's <laughs> Day special with a giant sort of lit Rolling Stones kind of kiss on the side of it. How many have you ordered? Uh, do you think my wife will buy it if I buy Napoli's Na- Valentine's Day kit as a gift for her? Do you think that will that will fly in 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 my house? No, I'm only kidding. I'm not going to buy that kit because it is it is a bad kit. <laughs> um, I was real worried for a moment there. That that had like every hallmark of addiction of just like sadly begrudgingly <laughs> like. Do you think it's okay if I buy it? I mean, I don't want to, but I have to at this point. Felt very compulsive. I'm glad that we've course corrected. The thing about Napoli this season is I kind of want a Napoli shirt because it feels like they're they're going to have this, you know, historic season. I think they're going to win the Serie A title. They might even win the Champions League this season. And when you have a, a season like that, there's there's an iconic kit that is just, you know, automatically related to to that that season, that glory. Napoli have had 16 kits this season. So what is the iconic kit? Maybe this is the iconic kit. The the Valentine's Day kit is the one that we're going to remember, but they've all been Bad, bad shirts. There's not. I don't even think there's a good one in there. No, there's not. This one particularly was not. Uh, but let's part that one there. Uh, Juventus is getting one new win over Fiorentina elsewhere in Serie A. Uh, oh, US under 17s took on Barbados. Joe got a big win. <laughs> they did. They got a five 0 win. So this is World Cup qualifying for the US U17s. They beat Barbados big time. Uh, shoot, I think that was Friday. Honestly, at this point, it's a little fuzzy. They play again. Uh, today as we're recording on Monday. So they're in a, a group of the top three teams, I believe, from each group advanced to the round of 16 with with a few extra teams being added in directly into the round of 16. And then the four semifinalists of this competition qualify for the World Cup. So the U.S. should always beat Barbados. Cruz Medina is probably the player to watch here, though, and he had a hat trick and looked, I think, generally very good. He looked like the elite prospect that he's supposed to be for San Jose. I'm excited to see more of him this year for the Quakes under Lucha Gonzalez. I'm hopeful that we we do see some real MLS minutes from him, although I wouldn't expect it to happen early on in the year. But, I mean, this is a, a good chance to watch some really exciting players for the U.S. I don't expect many folks are tuning in for this. I'm not going to watch all of it either. But, yeah, some some real talents, and Medina's probably first on that list. Excellent stuff. Uh, lastly, lastly, from me, Graham, we need to address Malik Tillman Gate, which took place in the Rangers Partick Thistle game yes. this past weekend. Um, sort of the, the first instance of this kind of behaviour is was Nwanku Kanu back in the day, wasn't it? When um, was it Sheffield United game and he uh, there was a throwback to the keeper. Kanu jumped on oh, it. I don't remember that one. Yeah, he, yeah. I remember it happening in the Championship a couple, maybe like three seasons ago or something with Bielsa and yeah. he kind of ordering Leeds United to, to let another team score, I think. But in, in the Kanu example, Kanu took the ball and scored and um, it was an FA Cup game and Wenger offered a replay and I don't believe uh, the offer was... Uh, 
codified in any way. Very controversial. But talk us through what uh, Tillman did or didn't do here, Graham. Yeah, so Malik Tillman, he he scored a goal and he's actually in great form at the moment. So he's got eight goals this season, um, but he nearly caused a national incident on Sunday <laughs> with his eighth goal of the season when he tackled a Partick Thistle player when he was trying to give the Partick Thistle players trying to give Rangers the ball back Emphasis after an on injury. Trying. Emphasis on trying. So, so, yep. so what happens yep. is uh, I think it's Tillman himself who has the injury. Rangers play the ball back. We've, you know, we've, we've all seen this a million times before. Uh, Partick Thistle then throw the ball back to themselves and then the idea is they're going to launch the ball up to the other end of the pitch and the, the match will restart. But Malik Tillman um, decides that he's going to high press the party thistle player who admittedly does take a pretty poor touch Terrible. as he's about to launch the ball down the pitch. <laughs> Malik Tillman then um, enters the box and finishes into not an empty net, but a, a pretty easy finish for him. And then all hell breaks loose. The yep. party thistle player is obviously not happy with how that had unfolded. Uh, then Michael Beale, the Rangers manager, that informs his Rangers team to basically allow Party Thistle to score from straight from centre. I'm not sure Alan McGregor, the Rangers goalkeeper, was on board with this instruction it. because no. <laughs> he kind of puts a half-hearted attempt in to stop uh, Scott Tiffany, the Party Thistle striker, from from putting the ball into the back of the net. But yeah, this was a this was a whole incident from the Rangers Party Thistle game, which Rangers ended up that was to make that whole episode made it two one and then two two and then Rangers end up winning three two in the end but that was the main talking point from that match the funny thing is that Tillman had previously been criticized for not pressing hmm. and now he, now he's pressing and he's doing it when he's not meant to but yeah it was it was all um I thought it was hilarious and in general I want more poop housery not less but yeah. I have to say I would have been fuming if I was a party thistle player and I think the way that it, it, it panned out was probably the the right way for it to I need, pan out in the end. I need to buy red, white, and blue glasses so I can put them on when I say I'm going to put my red, white, and blue glasses on for a moment. But I'm now <laughs> going to defend Malik Tillman for a moment because for people who haven't seen this, he like receives a ball in defeat, I would argue gets fouled there and gets knocked over, no foul given. Uh, then as he's knocked over, he tries to play the ball and does and then gets deliberately or not stamped on and right there that also should be a foul but as a result he is holding his ankle in pain and I think doesn't see that Rangers put the ball out of bounds to stop play because he is down I think there could have been a card for either one of those fouls and I think it should have been a free kick but he doesn't know that so he's down he doesn't know who put the ball back out Uh, and so then he I think gets up, doesn't really get much instruction, and I think in his mind, it's just a live ball, and I think he's annoyed that he's been stepped on, so he goes to apply this pressure, and I think he kind of doesn't know that he's doing something wrong, which is why I think he's so bewildered when he is grabbed around the neck and thrown to the ground by several different (laughs) Thistle players, Uh, and then, yeah, as Graham said, sort of, it kicks off from there, there's a lot of chaos, But, but I think, I understand what happened from his perspective, I think it will end up getting sort of remembered as him being a bit churlish, I think is what you all would say, because uh, I can't say a, a different word for fear of having to bleep myself. Um, but I don't really think that was it. I think it's just a, a strange like sequence yeah. of events leads to him not quite understanding what's happening uh, and then very much being told what has happened by uh, the Partick Thistle players after the goal goes in. Yeah, and, and Michael Beale after the match, he kind of explained that whole situation that Tillman hadn't, he'd been on the ground injured when the, yeah. the ball had been played out, so he he wasn't aware of that. I do think it was good management by, by Beale to 
give give the goal back so forget all the gentlemanly stuff and all that I think it's good protection of Malik Tillman yeah. and Beal made reference to this after the match but had Rangers just carried on and you know taken that goal Malik Tillman would would be would be a would be a target and I know maybe there's a bit of eye rolling going on with I always go on about the nature of Scottish football but there genuinely would have been weeks of radio phone-ins and newspaper newspaper columns and 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 all the rest I'm not exaggerating, it would have been a talking point for weeks and he would have been kind of linked to that forever in, in Scotland. And he's a young player and he just doesn't need that. And also Rangers didn't need that goal to beat Partick Thistle at home. So I think it's good management by good man management by Beale just to recognise not just the situation, but also maybe the impact it could have on Malik Tillman and just kind of give Thistle the goal back. Two things to wrap this up. I can't believe we're going this long on this one, but we need to. Uh, I really loved when, is it Ian McCall, who's uh, Thistle's manager? Yeah. Uh, is that the abbreviation, by the way? It's not Partick, it's Thistle? Um, so we, I would say Thistle, yeah. If okay. you talk about Thistle in Scotland, it'd be part, it'd be part of Thistle. I loved him, uh, Ian McCall, coming over to shake Michael Beale's hand after he tells his team to let them score. And it was a very telling moment for me that Beale doesn't do the kind of like, yes, of course, it's what was required. You can see how annoyed he is that he had to let them score. He's just very like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, let's keep playing. So I like that from him that there wasn't a, like, I am upholding the rules of the game. It definitely felt like I have to do this so a youngster doesn't get screamed at for forever. But Graham, the other thing that we should we should mention, I, I don't know if you said it, uh, you, you may have. So Rangers won three to two. Did you note who scored that late game winner? I did indeed. It was Mr. James Sands. Come so on. A, a big day for the Americans <laughs> for, for Rangers. They were the, the main characters for different reasons for, for Rangers in, in, in this match. Maybe this is the turning point for James Sands in his Rangers career. There it is. Wonderful stuff. And that means we talk about Scottish soccer ball on this podcast. Yay! Cool. You know you love it. I you know do. you love it. Graham wanted to do 15 minutes on him, how Cameron Carter-Vickers is better than Virgil van Dyke, <laughs> uh, But we, 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 we cut him down to a tight 90 seconds if he wants. Oh. So that was a genuine talking point on on Celtic Twitter on Saturday night was who is, who's been better for Celtic, uh, Virgil van Dijk or Cameron Carter-Vickers? And we didn't even get to the section about uh, Georges Giacomakis' comments on MLS versus Scottish Premiership. Maybe we'll keep that for a Patreon or something. Let's I don't know do what those that. are, so let's do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. I don't Patreon. know any of the words you said. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show to find out more about that thing Graham just said. Uh, but in the meantime, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Right back at you, Ryan. <laughs> and Graham Ruthven, thank you very much, my dear boy. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, thank you for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! You got a slice